Hey, I'm Jim McGinnis, and this is Stories We Can Tell. At its heart, reflections on history, literature, and music. Stories about individual journeys and struggles and victories. It's about Americans, America, or as much as I have seen. I've been teaching and coaching down here in my hometown of Melbourne, Florida, for the past 35 years. And three years ago, I wrote a book called Tending to the Past. Imagine that, Reflections of an American History Teacher. Since then, I've published a collection of poetry called Point South, mostly about my love for Florida. Surely a verse or two will slip in from time to time. Many years ago, a friend of mine gave me two cherished gifts, a book of Frost poetry and a John Prine record. Thanks, Ferg, wherever the twain shall meet. From there to Carl Sandburg and Hemingway to Jim Harrison, Jim Lepper, and old Jimmy Buffett. My gumbo of influences may help explain what you hear. So thanks goes out to all the links in the chain. Miles to go. Miles to go. Good morning. Yeah, we're back on the porch tending to the past. This is point number two. Um, if you've been following the, the last week or so. Um, reframing our history versus rewriting it. More to the story. Hope you stick around. I feel the weight of my ancestors' sins and the fate of my descendants. The things I've done and failed to do, I'll surely pay my penance. The story of our country we only tell in remnants. I lament the past we've forgotten with a vengeance. There's a story I recall about Frederick Douglass. I told it so many times that as John Prime would say, the memory is worn. The details are sketchy, but as I remember it, it was one of Douglass's last public appearances. Um, uh, he stood at the podium and said nothing. And then in one spurt, he delivered his whole speech. Agitate, agitate, agitate. With one word, Frederick Douglass captured the essence of free expression. A true thing I have discovered over the years is if we truly wish to think for ourselves, if we want to hear ourselves utter those seven words of liberation, I never thought of it that way, then we have to allow ourselves to be bothered, agitated. Please let me bother you for a bit. Thomas Jefferson placed a bust of Alexander Hamilton in the entrance of Monticello, his home. When asked about it, Jefferson replied, opposed in death as in life. This has to lie at the very heart of democracy, valuing others even when they oppose you, so much that you put a statue of your political enemy in your foyer. And believe me, Jefferson and Hamilton opposed each other at every turn. When I first got wind um, of the movement to remove flags and statues, several years ago, actually, I was bothered. 
Why? Because I could see it only in the context of whisking away history. Another step toward blissed out ignorance, as Hitchens said. Um, it worries me because we seem to be at our happiest when we're basking in the eternal sunshine of a spotless mind. This was just one more step toward the brave new world. Please indulge me. He waved his hand and it was as though with an invisible feather whisk he had brushed away a little dust. And the dust was Thomas Paine, Anne Hutchinson, and Walt Whitman. Some spider webs and they were Fort McHenry and Walden and Birmingham. Wounded knee. Whisk, whisk, and where was Henry Clay? Where was Frederick Douglass? Where were Sam Houston, Alice Paul, and Daniel Webster? Whisk. And those specks of antique dirt called Saratoga, Normandy, and Gettysburg. All were gone. Whisk. The place where Jamestown was was empty. Whisk the cathedrals. Whisk Sitting Bull, Lincoln, and the thoughts of Jefferson. My apologies to Aldous Huxley. Then I, I had spoke out about leaving flags and monuments alone. It's my belief that we don't do battle with things in history by erasing them. Cleansing history, said I said, quoting Clay Travis, um, isn't what free people do. <laughs> well, learning history may not be what free people do either, from my experience. Just as every culture and civilization has something to be proud of, I'm sure that each has something to be ashamed of, embarrassed about, sorry for. Surely the Spanish, the French, even the Irish have some things we're not too proud of. I know that's hard to believe. Now the British... Hell, I was raised calling the British flag not the Union Jack, but the Butcher's Apron. The brutal occupation of Ireland explains why millions ended up in America, uh, including my ancestors. A third of the entire population starved to death in the 19th century. Before that, the British occupiers outlawed the wearing of green in Ireland and summarily executed 3,000 men, women, and children for defying the ban. Oh, yeah. They also outlawed the Irish language. It's hard for me to see the British flag with all the fond memories I have without remembering the stories of my people. But you know, as painful and insulting as it may be, I think it's a healthy thing for me to remember. The Union Jack does not belittle me. As Eleanor Roosevelt said, no one can make you feel inferior without your participation. I grew up with the Confederate flag. I don't remember anyone in school or out telling me about it. It was simply part of our culture. We saw it at football games, concerts, and on the front of pickup trucks. 
When I was in grade school, I recall going to my first Mel High basketball game. The band played Dixie during a timeout, and all the white guys stood up. I remember thinking, that was a bit odd. But it was the 60s, and everything seemed odd. And by the way, I was standing. Looking back a half century, I wonder what the black players thought and how the black spectators felt, seated on the opposite side of the gym. And of all the traditions in our storied past, why was this the one we chose in the twilight of Jim Crow? Why pick a ritual that represents something so much lower than ourselves? You know, maybe it's a good thing to feel small at times. Humility is necessary to function as a human being. Walking around feeling superior, eh, feeling good, you're probably pretty useless. <laughs> um, but sometimes we follow Prine's line and come on big when we're feeling small. And that's when things get foggy. Now, I watched the Confederate flag come down the street in the last Melbourne parade that I went to at least. I wondered why it was so damn important to bear that flag alongside the stars and stripes. Beside the American flag, the one I saw draped upon my father's casket and so many others. But I actually didn't feel belittled or embarrassed. I felt nothing. And I was glad. But maybe you felt something else. And then I read Caroline Randall Williams' essay, My Body is a Confederate Monument. And then I read it again, and a third time. What is a monument but a standing memory, writes Williams, an artifact to make tangible the truth of the past. My body and blood are a tangible truth of the South and its past. As a multiracial Southerner, Williams described her very existence as a relic of slavery and Jim Crow. Teaching history for me has is central to learning history, which I believe makes me a better human and a better citizen. But Williams supplied a jolt. Her truth has agitated me, and I'm now bound to learn more about America and myself. Not replacing what I know, but adding to the story. I'm not at risk at becoming something else. I still listen to Leonard Skinner and Root Against Alabama. <laughs> I'm not becoming something else, but hopefully something more. It's not a matter of airbrushing history, said Williams, but of adding a new perspective. That said, let's talk about the Civil War. That flag can offend us, inspire us, and whisper warnings to all of us at the same time. But our inability or unwillingness to uh, grasp the complexities of history blinds us to context, all of us. Was the Civil War caused by slavery? Absolutely. 
but it takes a whole semester for me to explain it. It's complicated. And well, it should be. Human nature is complicated. Was Lincoln against slavery? With every bone in his body, he spoke out against it for decades. But could he save the Union? Could he save the country by initially making it a war to free slaves? No. To end slavery, Lincoln had to bend others. And in order to bend others, he had to bend himself. Yet there are still many Americans who refuse to peel back the layers of the story of our prophet Lincoln and discover the truth. A vast majority of Southerners owned white Southerners owned no slaves, but they could never have been called to arms had it not been for that terrible institution. They would not have had to defend their homes, their states, or worse yet, they wouldn't have had to march across that field in Pennsylvania. Their stories, like those of the slaves themselves, are tragic. The fog of war and its causes make our ancestors' deeds no less heroic, and their courage is worthy of remembrance. We can never lose sight of the fact that war was a result of the power elite drumming up causes for action. I'm going to bother you a bit right here. States' rights, they called it, bubbling out of the Tenth Amendment. Hmm. But it always seemed to rear its head at the wrong time for the wrong reason. Throughout American history, states' rights is often defended by those elites who fear the loss of their position. I wish it wasn't true, as much as I love my state. But states' rights has been a fig leaf, as Florence King would say, to conceal their desires to keep political and economic power. And it was used in the defense of slavery. Four million people declared unfree in a free country. And over 600,000 Americans lost their lives because of it. As my professor said, there are good reasons, and then there are real reasons. So regardless of the flat fact that slavery caused the Civil War, many right-thinking Southerners were dragged into this war. You can hear this in Levon Helms' heartbreaking version of the night they drove old Dixie down. They were deceived, and it won't be the last time young men are deceived. The Confederate flag is a reminder of that. And of course, on the other, in the other context, the one I remember, I see the Edmund Pettus Bridge in 1965 and those segregationists who waved the flag. I'd rather not see it. I'd rather not see the brutality, but I do. And I must. That flag has been carried by thugs and Klansmen and neo-Nazis and by those who perpetrated or witnessed over a thousand lynchings here in America. The dark side of American history, my friends, doesn't begin and end with slavery. Ask the Lakota, the Cherokee, and the Navajo. The business of remembering can be a grim one. <laughs> and what's the purpose of the telling and the showing? That's for each of us to answer. 
and that requires the truth, the whole truth, or as much as we can muster. In the wake of both our failings and our accomplishments, the work continues to try to be better than we are. The weight of our ancestors' sins and glories can't seal the fate of our descendants. Keep telling all our country's stories. We need more than remnants. Fair winds.